Good morning, Golden Corner. I want to thank y'all for something. Thank y'all for worshiping. I stood back there in the back, Ronnie and I were in the corner over there, and I'm telling you, that was moving. And I appreciate that. Um, I'm very excited about this morning. I also, I want to do something real quick before we get started. Uh, if you enjoyed the Mystery of Suffering series, if you got something out of it, I'd like for you to put your hands together this morning. And, uh, and give God praise for that, because I tell you, God worked through it, and, and, and I believe he worked through Ronnie, and uh, I saw him week in and week out preparing those sermons, and, and, uh, and then all the other things that I know the staff was involved in, and, but God worked through that series, and, and I, just wanted to, I just wanted to say that, man, it was special, it was special for me. Um, for the last five weeks, Ronnie has led us through the book of Ruth from start to finish, uh, answering the question, why would a good God allow bad things to happen to good people? And last Sunday, he answered that question for us. When God allows bad, he's up to something good. Y'all remember this? Shake your heads yes at me. Good. All right. Everybody got that? When God allows suffering, or God allows suffering, when he sees and understands that our suffering can be used for good. Now, Ronnie read this verse. It was uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 28, and this is what it says. And we know that God causes everything, right? Y'all remember this? Everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. God uses everything, right? The bad, the ugly, and the good to work together for the good of those who love him. Everything that is happening from one end of the earth to the other, he is aligning and organizing to do good. Now knowing that fact, what was our action step? Can anybody tell me? All right. Uh, that's okay. Ronnie, don't take it personal. It's nothing big. Knowing that fact, our action step was to trust God. Y'all remember that now? Good. Our action step was to trust God. In spite of our circumstances, in spite of our situation, we need to trust God. We need to trust that he has a plan. We need to believe with all of our heart that God is going to use our suffering for good. We need to believe that God will take our bad times and turn them into blessed times. Exactly. God's going to take our broken pieces and turn them into? Exactly. Now, last week was supposed to be the end of the series. And, uh, we, I mean, we, we gave you the gift, you know, the vial of wheat. <laughs> you had to be here for second service. We gave you the gift and you left, and so that was supposed to be the end of it. Well, Monday morning, I come in to my Monday morning meeting, and... Uh, and I, uh, with Ronnie, and we start talking, and I have a question for him, and it's something, it's a question that's been on my mind the entire series, and uh, this is what I asked him. I said, what kind of good are we talking about? If God allows bad because he's up to something good, what kind of good are we talking about? To someone who's suffering right now, Ronnie, what good should they be looking for? We talked about it for a while. We talked about it in our staff meeting, uh, following our meeting. And then I even brought it up to my life group afterwards. And we talked about that. What kind of good should we be looking for? 
Now, everyone that I talked to, we agreed on a couple of different things. The first thing we all agreed on, trusting God is much easier when we can at least see glimpses of some good. Do you agree with that? Do you agree with that, everybody? Okay, trusting God is easier when we at least see glimpses of good. Here's the second thing we all agreed on. We agreed that one of the reasons that bitterness and anger take hold and so many lose their trust in God is because they never see any good coming from their suffering. Do you agree with that? You agree with that? One of the reasons that bitterness and anger take hold, one of the reasons that our, our trust in God fails so often is because we don't see any good coming from our suffering. Does that make sense? And some of you may be sitting here right now this morning and you may say, well, Tim, you know what? I haven't seen any good come out of my suffering yet. And I'd like to be honest with you. You may never see all of the good that comes from your suffering. In our story, Naomi and Ruth experienced God turn their situation from bad to good. Do y'all remember that? He, he took their insurmountable debt, their poverty, and he turned their situation around and turned it into a time of blessing and flourishing. However, just like Ronnie described last week, they never saw in this life the real ramifications of their suffering. What the, all of the good that God brought out of it, they never saw it all. They didn't know that 2,000 years later that Jesus was going to be born and because of that, uh, because of what happened to them and Ruth, Mary, and Boaz, that, that he was going to have Gentile blood in him so that he could redeem the entirety of mankind 33 years later when he would die on the cross. They didn't know that. They never figured that out. Okay? Oftentimes we may never see all of the good that comes from our suffering, but I do believe that there is some good that we can count on seeing in suffering if we know what we're looking for. There is good that we could recognize as good if we know what to look for. In order to recognize the good that I'm talking about when it's happening, we have to know what we're looking for. Do you have that? This morning I would like to take a little bit of time and I'd like to identify three good things I think we should be looking for when we're suffering. Now, for some of us here, I know, for some of us, we're note takers this morning, okay? This entire series has just been about preparing you for maybe in the future when you hit a rough patch, when you begin to, when you, you know, hit suffering head on. But for some of us here this morning, you are suffering right now. You are, you are in the midst of suffering. And I want you to think about it as we go through this. I want you to think about what you've been going through. I want you to think about what's happening in your, around you right now. And I want you to think about these things that we're about to go through. Can we do that? For some of you note takers, it may have been something that's happened to you in the past. Think about that. But I want you to go there with me, okay? How I did this was I looked at a lot of good people in the Bible where God allowed suffering in their lives. And I believe I identified three major things that we should be looking for. First, let's talk about Job. The book of Job is about as overwhelming to me as any book in the Bible. Does anybody agree with that? It is, it is just as overwhelming as any book in the Bible to me. So I'm going to do my dead level best right here to take 42 chapters and put them in a paragraph. Okay? <laughs> Doesn't sound hard at all. Job was a man, and I'm quoting God here, who was the finest man in all the earth. That's what God said about Job. How would you like to be that to be your title? To God when he talks about you. Oh, he's the finest man in all the earth, that Tim McCall. 
Probably never happened. That's what God said about him. He was the finest man in all the earth. God said that he was blameless, a man who feared God, a man who stayed away from evil. That's how God in heaven described Job, okay? Now, Job was obviously such a great man that God had blessed him. Job was a wealthy man. He had livestock. He had lands. He had uh, you know, money and all this stuff and a lot of people that worked for him. And he had children. Uh, he had ten kids. But even though he was a great man, and even though God had blessed him, God allowed suffering to enter his life. Now, let me give you a quick overview of what happened, okay? All of his livestock were taken from him. His lands were burned up and ravaged by storms and different things. All of his workers, all of his farmhands, all of his shepherds, they were all murdered. And then all ten of his kids were meeting in a house, eating dinner like at the oldest brother's house, and the house collapsed on them and killed all ten of them. And this was in a very, very short time frame that all of these things happened. And as if, as if that wasn't enough, what happened to Job next was he was struck with an illness. And that illness caused him to develop boils over his entire body. So at the end of Job chapter 2, how we find Job, is this is how it describes him, as sitting in a pile of ashes, which I think are just symbolic of his life. Covered in boils, scraping them off with a broken piece of pottery. Does that sound bad? Does that sound like suffering to you? The next 34 chapters, of the, this is how you get through 42 chapters in a paragraph, by the way. The next 34 chapters of the book of Job are conversations between him and some of his friends, and his friends are trying to help him, and frankly, they do a really poor job of it. But in chapter 30, I want you to hear Job's state of mind in chapter 30. And I'm just going to read this to you. It's not going to be on the screen, so just listen. Job chapter 30, uh, 30, verse 20, he says this. I cry to you, O God, but you don't answer. I stand before you, but you don't even look. You have become cruel towards me. You use your power to persecute me. You throw me in the whirlwind, into the whirlwind and destroy me in the storm. What does that sound like? Brokenness. Exactly, Donnie. Bitterness. Suffering. That was the state of mind of Job. And it's in chapter 38, though, where I want to kind of start. All of a sudden, in chapter 38, something happens. Job has a one-on-one conversation with God, and this is how it's described. It says that uh, all of a sudden the wind started to pick up where Job was sitting in his pile of ashes, where Job was sitting. All of a sudden the wind started to pick up, and it said it developed into a whirlwind. It says that God spoke to Job in the whirlwind, in the whirlwind, which means this, and this is just what I have in my mind. Job heard the audible voice of God. Now, the next four chapters, there is a conversation between Job and God. And this is how I would paraphrase this conversation. They both aired some feelings out that they were having. Job shared some things with God that he had on his heart that he was struggling with and that he, obviously. And then God also, when you read what God said back to him, God shared some things with him that he had on his heart that he wanted to share with Job. So here they are. They have this conversation. By the end of the conversation, Job is experiencing, and this is in chapter 42, by the end of the conversation, Job is experiencing what can only be described as peace, as peace. And what follows the conversation is God, in turn, turning around and beginning to bless Job again. 
and Job gets back twice as much. But that's not the good that I want to point out to you this morning. That's not the good that I think we miss sometimes when we're in the midst of our suffering. The good I want to point out is found in Job chapter 42, verse 5. And this is Job speaking with God. This is what he says. Read it with me. I had only heard about you before, but now I have seen you with my own eyes. Read that with me one more time. I had only, this is Job talking to God. I want to make sure you get this. Job talking to God. I had only heard about you before, but now I have seen you with my own eyes. This is Job we're talking about. This was a man who God already described as blameless, who God already said was a man who feared him, who God already said, already said was a man who stayed away from evil and honored God with how he lived his life. What Job is saying is, I only had heard about you before. Now I've seen you with my own eyes. And this is what Job is saying. I know you better now than I ever have before. He grew closer to God than he ever had been. He describes how much he knew God before his suffering as only hearing about him. After his suffering, he says, I've seen you with my own eyes. Job walks away from his suffering with a better picture, a real picture of who God is. In the midst of his suffering, he grew to know God more. I believe this is always on God's to-do list when he allows his people to suffer. This is the sentence I want you to remember right here, okay? God can reveal himself in suffering. God can reveal himself in suffering. He wants us, in the midst of our suffering, to know him better. And if we will allow it, I believe that is exactly what he will do. He wants to strengthen our relationship with him. He wants us to know him better than we ever have, see him like we've never seen him before, and speak with him like we've never spoken with him before. That's what he wants. We were talking this week, Ronnie, on Monday, and, and uh, Ronnie made this statement, man, and it, you could tell it rocked the whole group. This is what Ronnie said. He said, I don't know how you can know God without suffering. He said, I don't know how you can know him without suffering. Because here's the truth. People, we don't go running to God when things are going great. We don't go looking for God when things are going great. We go looking for God when things are going bad. Am I right? I have a two and a half year old little girl who is the most independent, stubborn youngin I have ever been around in my life. Okay? She just is. If you've ever met her, you'll know that right off the bat. Chances are you come to my house, you drive by the farm, chances are she's going to be buck naked out in the middle of the pasture doing whatever she wants to do. Okay? I'm sorry. It's just the truth. Okay? Can I say buck naked? Is that okay, Ronnie? Thanks, ma'am. That's just who she is. She doesn't need her mommy and daddy for anything. She wants to do everything herself. I don't care what it is. You name it. That kid wants to do it on her own. But I want to tell you when she comes running and looking for mommy and daddy. When she steps in those fire ants that I've told her to stay out of 5,000 times. You know, when she cries for us, she's always slept uh, in her own room. She's always, I mean, she's done that great since she was a baby, like eight weeks old or something. She's done that fantastic. But you know when she cries for mommy and daddy? When it starts dawning and lightning. I tell you, man, people don't change much. We go looking for God in the bad times. We can go looking for God in the bad times. God can reveal himself in suffering 
And right now in the midst of your suffering, that may be exactly what he's trying to do. He's trying to show you something about himself. You got it? Everybody got it? Now let's talk about Joseph. I'm going to give you a quick overview of Joseph's story. Okay? Joseph is told through a dream that he is going to be like a king. Everyone's going to bow down to him. Okay? This is Joseph's story. He's a teenager. That's what he's told through a dream. Next thing you know, this is what follows. 13 years of suffering. First, his brothers throw him in a well. They leave him for dead. They decide that's not a good idea, not the goal. The goal is still to get rid of him, but the method is now different. They sell him into slavery. I'm sure he's bought and sold a couple of times, and he comes to be the slave for a man named Potiphar. When he's uh, Potiphar's slave, he learns the ins and outs, works his way up. He's a great slave, apparently. And next thing you know, he's second in command of a man named Potiphar's house. Okay? But then, he is falsely accused of trying to take advantage of Potiphar's wife. Next thing you know, he is slung into prison. And this isn't like a, a swanky prison. Okay? He's thrown into prison. But... Joseph learns the ins and outs, makes it way, learns how the prison works and everything. Next thing you know, he's running the prison second to only the warden. Helps the guy in prison. Helps the guy out. Guy forgets about him another couple of years. Then finally remembers him, introduces him to Pharaoh. Pharaoh likes him. And this is, I want to make sure I point this out. Pharaoh talks about how wise Joseph must be and what his work ethic must be like and how great he thinks Joseph is. And he puts Joseph in in charge of the entire kingdom, which at that time was the entire civilized world. And guess what? Joseph's a king. His dream has been realized. That's pretty good with that story, isn't it? That's some paraphrasing. But that's not the good I want to talk about. I don't want to talk about the fact that, that Joseph you know, became king just like God because that is good and that is great and I'm glad it happened. But the good that I see is a little bit more obscure than that. Joseph's suffering prepared him for what was coming in his life. Do you see it? Joseph's suffering, what he experienced, where God put him, allowed him to be, as a slave, as a prisoner, prepared him for what he was going to do in the future. It prepared him for where God was sending him. It was during those darkest days where Joseph grew in wisdom, he grew in strength, he grew in fortitude, and he grew in skills. God used those dark days as a training ground to grow Joseph and change him into who he needed to be in order to accomplish what he wanted him to accomplish in the future. Does that make sense? Everybody getting that? Joseph follows God lead, God's lead, and it prepared him for the blessed times he had ahead of him. And that's exactly what the Pharaoh, what Pharaoh points out when he meets Joseph. I want you to write down this sentence if you're a note taker. God can prepare us in suffering. God can prepare us in suffering. I believe that may be exactly the good that can happen in our suffering. And this may be one of the things that we miss as well. I believe God wants to use our suffering in our lives to prepare us. He wants it to grow us somehow. He wants wants it to stretch us somehow. He wants it to develop some things in us that we are going to need in the future. Maybe it is just as simple as wisdom. He's trying to grow us. He's going to use our times of suffering in order to grow our wisdom. Maybe it's something to do with our character. Maybe he's trying to get rid of something. Or maybe he's trying to add something into you that you do not have. 
Maybe it's a giftedness that he's already given you that he wants to see develop and grow into so much more. God can prepare us in suffering, and I think that's exactly what we see in the life of Joseph. You got it? You got two. Paul. He's last on my list, and frankly, he's about all the time I have. Paul suffered in this life. He was a prisoner, he was shipwrecked, he was persecuted, and he had what he, would, what he described in the Bible as a thorn in the flesh. Now, if you do some research on that, uh, what it most likely means, what they're pretty certain it means, is that he had a, a chronic physical illness that he dealt with. Okay? A terrible chronic physical illness. He, ta- he mentions it several times. I want, to read with, uh, I want you to read with me what Paul said about his thorn in the flesh, about what, what he says about his suffering. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 8 through 10. Now read this with me. Three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. Does that sound like suffering to you? Paul says, I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time he said, and this is Paul talking about what God said to him. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. This is the sentence I want you to catch. My power works best in, what's that word? Weakness. My power works best in weakness. I want you to think about that for a second. Paul said, so now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults and the hardships and the persecutions and the troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul recognized some good that came from his suffering. His suffering enabled God's power To work through him better. What did it say? My power works best in weakness. Paul recognized this. As his suffering dwindled him down. The more God worked through him. To help others. God didn't take his thorn away. I don't want you to miss this. God didn't take his thorn away. Paul says it plainly. God's power wasn't used to heal Paul. It wasn't used to relieve Paul in some way. It was used to help others. It added power to Paul's words. God's power and strength became what fueled Paul, kept him upright, and moved him forward in his suffering. This is the third one. Are you ready? God can release his power in suffering. God can release his power in suffering. I believe that this is exactly some of the good we may be missing. Oftentimes when we suffer, it is so we will become less self-sufficient, less dependent on ourselves, and more dependent on God. He wants to use us. He wants to send his power through us. And he will use times of suffering in our lives to facilitate his power being seen by others. Does that make sense? He will use times of suffering to facilitate his power being seen by others. God is going to send his power. God can send his power in times of suffering. But it's going to pass through you on to others. It may not relieve you of your suffering. It may not heal your heart. 
but it may do exactly that for someone else. Does that make sense? Is everybody here? God can release his power in suffering. I want you to think about this. I watched it again last night, Bonnie and Brian's video. Y'all remember the testimony from last week? Bonnie says something in that video, and it, it caught me the, uh, uh, again last night. She said, you know, there are still days where I'm angry. There are still days where I'm bitter. Did you catch that? Her suffering is not over. But I guarantee you, if I was to ask everyone who's seen that video, if I were to ask you, I'd say, Do you, was that video powerful to you? You would say what? Yes, you would. It was powerful to me. It was powerful because God made it powerful. That's God's power you're feeling. In the midst of, of their suffering, that they're still experiencing right now, God's power is infused through that, through their words, where it moves us, it changes us, it makes us think about ourselves and our lives. That's God's power at work. That's a great example of it. The whole time I worked on this sermon uh, and studied this question kept coming into my mind. Why don't we notice these three things? You got, you got all three of them, right? God can reveal himself in suffering. God can prepare us in suffering. God can release his power in our suffering. I said, why, why don't we think about these things? Why don't we notice these? Why don't we recognize these as good things in the midst of our suffering? And I'll be honest with you, I think it's completely human. Because I've, I've done it. I've been through, you know, periods of suffering in my life. And I didn't notice these things. These aren't, this isn't what I was looking for. I, I believe this. I believe the average person asks two questions when they, when they hit a, a time of suffering in their life. Here's the first question I believe they ask. What are you doing to me, God? What are you doing? What are you doing to me? And I think if we ever get through that, and I'm, I'm throwing myself in this lot, okay, so don't get defensive. Once we get through that, then we ask another question. All right, all right, what are you going to do for me? What are you, how are you going to fix this? How are you going to make this right, God? What are you going to do for me? But I tell you, when you look, I, and, I, and I, I believe this, if those are the two questions we're asking, then I believe we're asking the wrong questions. Because when you look at these three guys that I just shared with you this morning, I don't believe that was the question. I think, I think there were periods of time where they asked those questions. I think you can see that there was bitterness and there was anger and there was frustration. They were trying to get through all these things. I'm sure there was in their stories. But I believe when you look at the story of Job and you read all 42 chapters, if you want to do that, if you go and you read that, I believe this is what you'll see Job asking. God, what are you trying to show me? I believe it. If you read that book, that you will see that over and over in that book. That Job is saying, God, what are you trying to show me? What are you trying to show me about yourself that I'm not seeing because I don't get it? I believe if you look at Joseph's story, you're going to see a different kind of question. You look at Joseph's story and how he, his, his work ethic and, and following God's lead and making the most out of where he was, you know, where God had led him to, whether it was a slave or as a prisoner. When you see that, you have to know that this is a guy who's asking God. He's asking God, he said, how are you trying to grow me? What is it you're trying to teach me? How do you want, what do you want me to learn from this time of suffering? Do you agree with that? 
I believe you look at Paul and you read his writings, and I'm telling you there are tons of, of references in there for Paul where Paul is talking about his suffering and what it's doing. And I'm telling you, you will see consistently that what Paul wanted to know is what do you want to do through me? How do you want to use this, God, for your glory? How, how are you going to send your power into this and make this something that changes the lives of other people? I believe that's what you'll see. I believe if we want to see good in the midst of our suffering, we have to start asking different questions. We need to ask God to show us something about himself. God, what are you trying to show me? What is it you want me to see? We need to ask God to show you how he wants, uh, how do do you want to grow me through this, God? God. What is, it you're wanting to, what is it you're wanting to bring out of me? How is it you, what is it you're wanting to develop in me? And we need to ask God how he wants to use us. Now look, guys, I'm not, look. That is contrary to everything human. I'm not saying, if you ask these questions, I'm not saying it's going to end your suffering. I'm not saying that your pain is going to subside. I'm not saying that at all. But I believe these three things may be exactly the good things you need to see in order to keep on going and come out out on the other end better. You ask me, say, Tim, well, how do you know? Other than that, it's in the Bible. Um, up to 12 years old, my life was basically perfect. Basically perfect. I mean, I don't, I don't, I was a happy-go-lucky kid. I was goofy way back then. I used to be goofy. And then all of a sudden, though, something happened. My family fell apart. Um, The word I, I kept thinking about this week was disintegrated. It just disintegrated. It just exploded. What followed for me was about Six or seven years, six to seven years of anger and bitterness and um, hurt feelings and frustration. I mean, and, and I'm not saying, don't, don't get me wrong, because I think when, people, when you say that sometimes people are like, well, I knew you then. Listen, I'm not saying there weren't portions of my life I didn't enjoy. I did from 12 to 19 years old. There were, there were things about my life I was happy with, but always kind of back there in the back of my soul, back in my heart back there, there was this, there was this hurt that just wouldn't go away. And it took, I mean, it was, it was six, or, six or seven years there, where, and, and probably even beyond that, where I just had this hurt inside of me. But you ask me how I know that these are the good things I think we should be looking for, is this. Come 19 years old, I had a very real encounter with Jesus, and what has followed that up to now to 31, yes, I am that old, guys. What has followed that is the realization that all three of these things are good things that God brought out of my suffering. All three of these. Inevitably, after, in the midst of my suffering, I came to know God better. 
I was, I recognized, I realized something about him that I never knew before. And I remember vividly what it was. It was the fact that he loved me. And for some reason, when I finally heard it and I finally made sense to me, it broke me down. And I'll be honest with you, I knew God then and I know God now better than I ever had in my life. I had a real encounter with him, a real conversation with him where I walked away knowing more about him than when I walked up. I can tell you with absolute certainty. I can tell you with absolute certainty that God prepared me in my suffering. I have a a wonderful wife, beautiful wife, loves me like 33% of the time. I got two wonderful kids, absolutely beautiful. And I can tell you this, in the midst of my suffering, God built something in me. And what he built was a desire to never ever put my family through that again he prepared me for my future he put me in a place without a shadow of a doubt where I would have the opportunity to help others and I cannot tell you how many teenagers over the years I have had the privilege to walk up to me, man, and they start telling me their feelings. And all of a sudden it becomes so obvious to me that that was exactly how I felt. That was exactly how, what, I was, what I was going through. And I've been able to, to speak to them. And then something amazing happens. I'm just saying words. I'm just saying junk that I know. You know what I mean? And God's power just comes through me. And I've been able to experience that, experience God use me. And put his power through me in order to help other people who are suffering. I've seen all three of these things happen in the midst of my suffering. And I believe that all three of these things, uh, these good things, are things that he wants to do in the midst of your suffering. But you've got to be looking for them. And you've got to be asking him the right questions. You got it? Let me pray for you. God, thank you so much for this morning. I thank you for each and every person that's here. I thank you for this, their, their open hearts. I felt it during the sermon that they were hearing what you had to say to them. God, I just pray that, that you will continue to, to open these doors into their hearts this morning. Um, where, if their woundedness, their, their time, times of suffering in their lives, and you'll begin to show them all of the good that you're wanting to bring out of it. And the good might not be the good we want. It might not be the good we've expected. But I believe that it is the good that inevitably when they come out of the suffering on the other end, they'll be better for it. They'll be happier than they've ever been with a better knowledge of you. They'll be stronger than they've ever been because you've built something inside of them. And you'll be able to use them and work through them more than you ever have. Because you put more of you into them. God, I thank you so much for this series and just what it's meant to our church. What it's meant to me personally and all of the feelings and the stuff that you've brought out of me. And I pray that you don't stop. I pray that you continue just to soften me up and work, and work in me and work in everyone here. And just draw us to a place where, where we know you better. And we love you more than we ever have. It's in Jesus' name. And everybody says, amen. Thank you guys so much for being here this morning. Be careful out there. Enjoy your weekend, your long weekend. Love you. You're dismissed.